The following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. Okay, Galatians chapter 6. Uh, last time we looked at uh, verses 2 through 5 in the week, or the time before that, verse 1. Let me read those verses for you now, and then we'll continue on through verse 10. And that really concludes uh, the the substance of this uh, this letter here. Verses 11 and on are a conclusion. Paul's concluding remarks. And uh, so in one sense or another, we have almost made it to the end, uh, yet there is still a little bit left in Paul's final words. But let me read for you now Galatians chapter 6. Beginning in verse 1, Paul there writes, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one each one shall bear his own load. Now, in verse 1, uh, we learn that a brother in sin must be confronted. This is called church discipline, something that we uh, are to practice if the situation is needed. It's the process for dealing with a sinning brother, Matthew 18 Verses 15 through 20 give us a structure for how to deal with sinning brethren. And it teaches us here that the church uh, needs to deal with these kind of situations in a proper manner. And uh, what is that proper manner? What is uh, How is that to be dealt with? Well, here in verses 2 uh, and 3, uh, Paul tells us how this is to be dealt with. It's to be dealt with in a sensitive way. And uh, first, those who are involved in restoring the sinning brethren must be spiritually mature. They need to be the ones that are mature in the church and to handle these kind of situations. Second, they must uh, conduct themselves with a spirit of gentleness. Paul says this in verse 1. And third, they are they and everyone in the church must be watchful or consider their ways lest they be t- overtaken by the same or similar kind of sin themselves that this erring brother has fallen into. So one, they must be the spiritually mature ones. Two, they must address it with a spirit of gentleness. Thirdly, they need to consider themselves lest they also fall into sin. And then continuing on in these verses, whether it be restoring a sinning brethren, caring for orphans or widows or visiting the sick and afflicted, everyone in the church has the responsibility to bear one another's burdens. That is what verse 2 teaches us. A burden can be a a kind of difficulty or problem, whether material or spiritual. Last time I said that it even relates to a brother who's in sin. We are to help him, to give him the accountability and uphold him uh, in his endeavor to walk righteously. And that can be a part of bearing his burden as well. Again, it could be material needs as well. It is the responsibility of each member to help carry that weight, whatever that burden may be. And we can do that through prayer, acts of service, encouraging truth from God's word, etc., whatever it may be, to help them bury, carry that weight 
that burden that they are that they have. Now, in verses six through ten, Paul is addressing why bearing one another's burdens is important in the Christian life. Why bearing one another's burdens is important in the in the Christian life. Look with me at verse six. Paul there writes, "Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches." Now, immediately, this verse may seem suspect. It seems as if Paul has changed the direction of his letter. We've gone through uh, the idea of addressing a brother in sin and how to properly deal with that situation, the character, the kind of character that people who are confronting should have, and bearing one another's burdens. And then Paul says, let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. What is Paul saying here? What is he addressing? Well, I'm going to argue that Paul is not changed the subject, but is revisiting the command to bear one another's burdens in verse 2 that we just talked about. And he's doing this by giving another instance of how to practically do this, how to bear one another's burdens. There are two parties mentioned here in verse 6, the one who is taught, we could call that person the student, and the one who is teaching, the teacher, teaching the word. Given the broader context that Paul is writing to churches that consist of both members and a pastor or pastors, it is most likely that Paul is commanding the members, that is those who are being taught the word, to share in all good things with the teacher. In this context, the pastor or the teacher, the elder. Note that this also is not just a suggestion, this is a command. It is the obligation of the members to fulfill this and to obey this command. It's not merely a suggestion. So what does it mean to share in all good things? We need to understand this in order to uh, obey this command. The word share simply means to share or have a share in. Whereas good things could either mean material goods or spiritually and morally excellent things learned from the word. So either material goods, material things, or spiritually or morally excellent things. While some uh, will argue that Paul is referring to the spiritual blessings, the spiritual things that uh, they can return, give in return for what they've been taught, uh, I I don't take that view at, at this point. Now, you may be able to persuade me otherwise, uh, but I believe that the context doesn't eliminate the possibility that Paul is referring to material goods. Uh, and, I'll, and, I'll, and I say this because we go back to, again, what I said earlier about the command in verse 2, that we are to bear one another's burdens. And I, I don't take that to mean that there's just these are just spiritual burdens. I think that there are material burdens as well that is being spoken about here as well. Now, thinking back to verse 6, when the members of a church share with their pastor the material things which they have and he needs, it allows him to focus upon his primary work of teaching the word and caring for the spiritual needs of the people, evangelizing, etc. And sharing these good things that the people have, They are bearing a portion 
or one of the pastor's burdens by alleviating the need for him to make ends meet by working, let's say, another job. So in one sense, they are bearing his burden, or at least a portion of his burden, by alleviating him from the need of having to uh, draw his attention away by making money or, or providing for his family needs in some other manner. Therefore, they are helping bear up his burden in this way by sharing in all good things. How does this correlate with the surrounding context? Remember, again, as I just said a moment ago, that what was commanded in verse 2 is that we are to bear one another's burdens up. And these can be spiritual or material burdens. Just as sharing in all good things may not always be material, both spiritual blessings, uh, but spiritual blessings that arise out of the teaching of the word. So uh, implied here is the idea of, of material goods. Uh, for those who is, who is doing the teaching. But they're also, uh, again, as, as I said earlier, you may be able to persuade me that there are also spiritual blessings uh, that, are, that are a benefit to those who are, being, who are teaching as well. So then Paul continues in verse 7. He says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Verse 8, for he who sows to his flesh will also, will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Do not be deceived, in the beginning of verse 7, relates to the topic of self-deception, which Pastor has uh, taught on quite extensively and well-roundedly in the past few weeks. And just like in verse 3, which we looked at last time, the person who is self-deceived has come to some kind of wrong, con- con- wrong conclusion, as pastors put it. He has deceived himself in thinking that the truth is no longer the truth. In verse three, a self- in verse three here in Galatians chapter six, a self-deceived person examines himself and concludes, based on his quote-unquote performance, that he is a spiritual man. He's well off. He's mature because of perhaps his own doing, but he has forgotten that he is wholly dependent upon God, that it is Christ's work in him that allows him to be anything that he is, spiritually speaking. Now in verse 7, we could say that this person has deceived himself and believes that his actions and behaviors are not weighty matters. Look again at verse 7. Paul writes, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. That is, we cannot go on living however we wish, claiming the graces of God, yet despising God through our behavior, our manner of life. You cannot treat God with contempt and go on your merry way way as if nothing's wrong. Soon enough, that kind of attitude and mindset will catch up. He will call you to account for your behavior. This understanding then guides us in how we understand the proverbial statement in the rest of verse 7, where Paul writes, For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. I take Paul to referring back to the kind of flesh versus spirit proposition that we were talking about in chapter 5 in verses 19 through really 25. 
where he compares, again, the works of the flesh versus the work of the spirit in the believer. And the difference there, the contrasting difference. That is, those who are walking in the flesh, as we looked, as I look back at verse 19 of chapter 5, those who walk in the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? Eternal life, all that encompasses uh, God, our inheritance in Christ, the things which are uh, those given to the believer for those who believe in Christ. So those who are walking in the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will not inherit eternal life. Whereas those who have the spirit of God, who walk in the spirit and produce the spirit's fruit, do have eternal life. And that's seen in this statement here in verses 7 and 8. Verse 8, Paul writes, or perhaps we could say he warns, For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. So Paul is going to give two kind of contrasting, uh, contrasting positions. He first gives a general statement, for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. And then he goes on to say there are two kind of sowers. There's one who sows to the flesh, and the one in verse 8, uh, the end of verse 8, who sows to the spirit. And they have two different kinds of ends, two ends to their sowing. What are those two ends? For the one who sows to the flesh, Paul writes, will of the flesh reap corruption. Versus those who sow to the spirit will of the spirit reap what? Everlasting life. What is Paul teaching the Galatians here? He's telling them this. Perhaps we could look back at verse 4, where Paul writes, But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. Paul is saying, in, As you examine yourselves, consider what kind of sowing you're doing. Are you sowing to the flesh? Or are you sowing to the spirit? In other words, are you sowing things that pleases the flesh? The pleasures of the flesh or are you sowing things which please God, which please the spirit, which are fruits of the spirit in you, the, the fruit of the spirit in you? What kind of things are you sowing? And if you're sowing things to the flesh, don't be deceived. Don't be self-deceived in thinking that those things aren't weighty matters, that it doesn't matter whether you walk in the flesh or you walk in the spirit, because it does. God cannot be mocked. Don't ignore the fact that if you're walking in the flesh, that uh, that doesn't have eternal weight. It does. You are demonstrating by those fruits, the fruit root of the flesh, that you are not walking in the spirit. And therefore, it's worth considering and worth examining whether you are even in the faith, as Paul writes in other letters. So, consider this matter, he tells the Galatians. Are you sowing to the flesh? If you are, you're going to reap according to your works. That is destruction or corruption, as the New King James writes. That is opposite of reaping eternal life. To not reap eternal life is to reap 
destruction, corruption. I think of Psalm 1, where, where the psalmist contrasts the two kind of ends. Those who are walking according uh, to the path of the sinner do not reap eternal life. They reap condemnation, God's judgment upon them. Whereas the person who sows to the Spirit, that is, is cultivating the fruit of the Spirit in their life, is demonstrating that they have the Spirit of God, as we've argued earlier on, and therefore has that promise, has the confidence, may we say, that he is going to receive eternal life. A common phrase among those who believe that our obedience to Christ is an essential part of our Christian life is faith works. Think of the book of James. A genuine believer will follow the Spirit's guidance and produce fruit that demonstrates that he has the Spirit of God within him. He will demonstrate his new nature. That is the nature of regeneration. They have a, there is a change that takes place, and their faith works. It demonstrates itself in fruit, in good works. So as we draw our attention, as I draw your attention back to the text here, Paul is teaching and reminding the Galatians that uh, their, their life, their behavior, the, their actions are weighty matters. You cannot, do not be self-deceived in thinking that uh, what you do, your behavior, your actions are not a demonstration of your heart. They are. someone is sowing to the flesh, then he's going to reap his due reward. Sowing of the flesh is practicing such things as are included among the works of the flesh, which we talked about again back in chapter 5, verse 19. Such sowing cannot produce the harvest of the kingdom of God, but the harvest of destruction. And anyone who does not believe in such a coming assessment from God or thinks that such an assessment of sowing and reaping cannot, can be ignored is deceived, whether by himself or another, as we already said. Let me be clear that uh, in speaking about this, Paul is not exhorting them to do good things in order to secure eternal life. Remember, Paul's whole crux here is that justification is by faith alone. It's not by works. And Paul's not saying, so things that are of of the spirit and therefore secure your your eternal life the everlasting life that's not paul's argument or proposition here as if we sow the right as if we sow the right things we will obtain the right reward no we are reliant solely upon the work of christ for everlasting life but we are to obey christ as lord and to follow the spirit's guidance which in the end will result in sowing what is good what is right. Paul then continues on in verse 9 and says, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. As we consider Paul's proposition here, What do we do now? What does it mean to keep doing good? What does it mean to not grow weary while doing good? 
we are exhorted here to not lose heart or become discouraged at doing what is good. In fact, losing heart itself is not good at all. Perhaps it seems you keep giving, but no reaping is happening. That's okay. Just trust God and who tells us the truth about sowing and reaping and keep doing right. We plod on. We do not lose heart. Remember, we're not doing this for self-exaltation anyways. We're doing this to please the Lord. We're not doing it to esteem ourselves upon above another. Perhaps when we see a brother in sin and we use that as an opportunity to self-exalt ourselves in, in what we're doing, the things which we are doing for them specifically or for those generally in the church or for all men. That is not what we are reaping. We are, we are working, we are laboring, doing good so that we, in the end, will reap the inheritance of eternal life and the reward for those things which we have done for Christ's name. Really, this is the conclusion of the matter on doing good. Paul says in verse 10, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. As I was considering uh, what Paul is uh, getting at at the, at the end when he says, especially to those who are of the household of faith, I think of the fact that if, if we are inclined to do good to anyone, it should be first to those who we have an intimate connection with our brothers, our sisters in Christ. They should be the last ones, or maybe I should say we, they should be the first ones in which we even consider doing good to because of the intimacy, the love, the connection, the familial relationship that we have, the oneness of body in Christ that we have to them. Secondly, is because our testimony relies upon our relationship to one another, our unity in Christ. Our testimony to others, to those who are outside of the household of faith. The testimony of Christ relies upon our operation within the body of Christ, of being those who are doing good to one another, that are not hostile, that are not envying or covetous or prideful or full, full of contentions or deceit. Therefore, Paul exhorts them to do good to all men, but especially those who are of the household of faith. So then, Paul then concludes this whole idea of doing good and focusing upon the fact that well, we are not to deceive our th ourselves in thinking that well, what we do does not have eternal value. It does. And Paul's warning is clear that those who sow will reap according to those things which they have sown. There is no man that, that sows according to the flesh, that is, the works of the flesh, and reaps a different kind of harvest. It's a simple agricultural idea. <laughs> you sow corn, you're going to reap corn. You sow the works of the flesh, you're going to reap according to the flesh. 
And in this case, in context, that is destruction, eternal destruction, condemnation, separation from Christ, from God forever. Therefore, do not be deceived, but do good to all those according, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Time has expired this evening. Let's close in a word of prayer and and, uh, enjoy the fellowship we have together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. Lord, we thank you for the moments that we have in your word to consider Paul's exhortation to the Galatians to uh, consider their responsibilities to care for one another, to uphold one another, to, to endure in carrying one another's burdens. Lord, we thank you for our own pastor and ways in which we can uphold him and his family. May we consider how we are to do that uh, all the days, Lord, as well as each other, to not forget the burdens of one another, their needs spiritually, materially. Lord, we also ask that we would be careful to not be self-deceived in thinking that uh, those things which we do for one another are not weighty matters. Lord, that if we are living according to the flesh, that uh, we are demonstrating in the very essence of doing that, that we have no part in the Spirit because the Spirit produces things which please God and demonstrate His work in our lives. Help us, Lord, to consider these things in a, in a, in a worthy manner, Lord, in a way that truly contemplates the truth that's here and does justice to the things which you have commanded for us to do. Bless now our evening, our time together. We thank you for those who are online, and uh, we pray that this would be an encouragement to them. Lord, we look forward to fellowship with them in the coming days. We ask all of these things in your Son's name. Amen.